On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This is an Irish Independent podcast. Today on the Indo Daily, Justice for Jean. Will the McConville family ever know the names of those who murdered their mother? 1972 was the worst year of the Troubles by far in terms of fatalities. A short while ago, we filmed you leading the way with a, with a, white, with a white handkerchief. Yes. Uh, for a, um, a party who were carrying a boy who was dead or dying. Now, how was he shot? That little boy was shot when he was running away. Uh, he, he was just a little bit behind me when he fell. I heard the shot, I looked around, I saw him dying. In West Belfast, in the Divis Flats complex, a widow raises her ten children alone against a backdrop of suspicion. And then one night, she disappears. They ordered all the kids up the stairs and now they just walked in and took my mum and mum says, mum walked out the hall. Put on her coat and her scarf. What did your mummy say when she left? Mummy had a big squeal out of it. These people knew us by name. Uh, they were calling their names and they started uh, quieting us down a bit. The last memories what I have of our, our mother was getting too good uh, by the arms by two women. Today, your brother Michael said that he knows the identity of the people that came to the house that night and took your mother, but he won't say for fear of being shot by the IRA. Uh, do you share those fears? No, that, that fear has left me a long time ago and I don't have fear of the IRA anymore and I will happily give the names that I know to the police. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today as we approach the 20th anniversary of the discovery of Jean McConville's remains, I'm joined by the Irish Independent Special Correspondent, Catherine Fegan, to look back on what happened to Jean, her family's quest for justice, and why over half a century later, much of what happened to their mum remains unsolved. How do you orphan 10 children? What what kind of depravity is that? That's what happens in war, Scott. Catherine, here we are, 1972. It's the run-up to Christmas. Uh, We're in Divis Flats, where Jean, 37, is widowed with 10 mouths to feed. And there's a knock on the door. There's a knock on the door. But before that, just a bit of context about Jean McConville and the family. So Jean is a Protestant. She marries a Catholic man and they originally live in East Belfast. She converts to Catholicism and they move to West Belfast because the family's facing intimidation and threats over her religion. So they move into the Davis Flats. It's... um, 
A complex in West Belfast on the Falls Road. It's in a predominantly Catholic area and the families that would have lived in Divis Flats at the time would have been working class Catholics, would have been a lot of unemployment among families. And unemployment, Catherine, simply because Catholics were really beaten down. Most people here, most young women here, would be um, on drugs for um, depression, isolation. They're suffering from stress, there's dampness, there's a major problem with rats, asbestos, um, bad sewage. I mean, you name it, we've got it in Divis. Catholics didn't get jobs in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, Catholics didn't get education. They were living, they were penniless. Uh, there was very little opportunity. Uh, you had this backdrop of of conflict. Uh, the Davis Flats was an IRA stronghold at the time. So, you know, the police didn't uh, police the Davis Flats. The IRA were the enforcers in the Davis Flats at the time. And so here you have Jean And like we say, it's December and you can only imagine uh, how cold and miserable the weather is. But you've got the lead up to Christmas and the kiddies would be getting excited. And then we have that awful evening. What happened? So the eldest of Jean McConville's children, Helen, had gone out to the chip shop to get something for dinner. They just moved into this flat the week previous. The hub wasn't connected. Uh, She's a widow. Her husband's dead. So she's on her own with the kids knock at the door and they assume it's Helen back with the dinner so they go to answer it but it's not Helen it's it's a, a gang of masked men and women up to ten of them and they, they barge their way in through the door the children are inside now bear in mind that the youngest of the children are six years of age at the time twins they barge their way in balaclavas at least one of them has a gun and they want Jean McConville they want to speak to Jean they want the kid's mother we were all we all clinged on there, yeah. All the younger ones clinged on there. Um, the older brother, uh, Archie, he he was uh, at sixteen at the time, so he was, and uh, we were all sh- shouting and screaming. You can imagine the scene; it is absolute terror, you know. And Jean McConville appears, and you know, obviously asking, "Well, what's, what what do you want?" And they said, "One of them says, get get your coat. We're taking you with us.'" She's led down the stairs. The children are ushered into a nearby bedroom by some of the people who were present. And the eldest at the time who was present, which I think was which it was Archie, uh, sees all of this happening to his mother. He's 15 at the time and he says, can I go with her? You know, what's going on? And the, the people that are present say, yes, you can come with her. They go down the stairs uh, in the flats, down the flights of stairs in the flats. He's with his mother. The children are screaming and wailing. She's screaming and wailing, doesn't know what is going on. They get outside the flats and Archie say, said he saw a Volkswagen van outside and he goes to go with his mother. And at that point, he's told, no, you get back. Um, he later says that he thinks that they agreed to let him go just so they could get his mother out of the house because they wanted her into the van. The last he sees is his mother getting bundled into this van by all these masked men and women. She turns to him and she said, mind the children until I get back, screeching and crying. And that's the last he sees of his mother. It's the last anybody sees of Jean McConville. Your mother had been taken. What did you do? Uh, Well, every night I had to barricade the door and make sure the younger ones were in bed and... We were locked in, um, 
anybody would run past the door about St. Ferenzi's. And we you just, were 15? I was 15, yeah. It's a really harrowing story, Catherine. Um, and the previous night, the kids have since told the story of how their mom had returned home from, I think it was a bingo, and she had bruises and lacerations on her face. Yes, she didn't go out much, but if she did go out, she went to the bingo hall. And I've recalled this incident where she is approached in the bingo hall by someone and, and told that her daughter's in hospital and she has to come. So she leaves and uh, she's taken away and she's she's badly beaten up. Um, the allegation is that she is an informer, that she has given information to the British. Um, and this is a warning to her to stop. She's badly beaten around the face and she arrives home to the children in this state. So this is the night before. And this gives us a bit of insight. So somebody somewhere believed Jean McConville was spilling the beans to the British Army, that she was an informer, that she was a spy. Yes, and I think it's it's important at the outset to say that her children have always disputed this, okay? Always disputed it. Um, the allegation was that she was passing information that she had transmitters in her home and that she was doing this for money, uh, that she had no money at the time. Obviously, she was, she was a widow. She was surviving on her husband's pension and that she had become a tout. There's this piece of footage from the BBC in January 1973, and this is a matter of weeks after Jean disappears. And oh my God, Catherine, it is awful to look at. You have a row of the McConville kiddies sitting on a couch, being interviewed by a BBC reporter about their mammy's disappearance and who's looking after them now. You just see the kids all shell-shocked. Do you know why your mummy went away? Do you know why she was taken away? No, she's never done anything. She's never. She's never done anything. No, she was never in the house next to just went to Bengal. Mm-hmm. Helen, I believe you're looking after the family. How are you managing to cope? Okay. And I looked at that footage again last night. I'd seen it before, but I really looked at it last night and. It's really shocking. It's quite unsettling to watch it, I think, seeing those children um, who were completely on their own, didn't have a clue what happened to their mother. And it's a month after. Um, I think it's important to note that there was no police investigation into their mother's disappearance until 1995. So they were on their own. They're getting interviewed about what has happened to her and they're still in the flat. And I you know, they stayed there for two months on their own. The eldest girl looked after them. But pretty soon after that, they were all taken and put into care. A lot of them went to foster homes. And the whole family was completely split apart. The children, I suppose they missed them. I mean, do they say anything about her at all? They say every night. Some nights they say, I'm about to go, I'm about my mummy back. And then to go off to bed and start to pray for my mummy. Before I told him yesterday to keep her fingers crossed and pray hard for her coming back. And that's it, as you say. You know, the kids are orphaned. They're effectively fostered out. There is no immediate investigation until 1995. And then it's almost like the Jean McConville name comes up every so often, but there's not a lot in terms of answers. But her remains 
are then finally discovered in 2003. Talk to me about this, Catherine. The family, the McConville children, had always tried to find out what happened to their mother. They'd asked and they'd pleaded with everybody locally. Uh, They got no answers and they got a lot of... um, came up against a lot of opposition to them finding out what happened to their mother because a lot of people locally were involved. And so we get to 1991, we have the ceasefire, the IRS ceasefire, working towards peace. We have the 1998 Good Friday Agreement and then we have this this deal that's been done where all the arms are given up, the IRA, you know, there's decommissioning and then there's this issue of, of the disappeared bodies. And it's not until 1999 that they admit that they they murdered, they abducted and murdered Jean McConville. This is an admission in 1999. And they give information about where she might be buried. There's a search in an area in Dundalk, County Louth, but nothing comes of it. They can't find her. So it goes away again. And then by pure fluke and nothing else, there's a an adverse weather event in 2003 Part of a beach in in Carlingford is exposed and a dog walker comes across remains and they're the remains of Jean McConville. Shelling Hill Beach in County Louth is a beautiful place when the sun shines, but for three decades it held one of the darkest secrets of the Northern Irish Troubles. In 2003, the body of Jean McConville was found on the beach. She had been secretly murdered and buried there by the IRA in 1972. You mentioned that the IRA took responsibility and that it was well known in the area who might have done this. As adults, the McConville children, they have recounted stories of where they were children and threatened and told, you say nothing, you saw nothing. You say nothing. You don't know who did this. A terrifying ordeal. Because when I was a young lad at 11 years of age, when this had happened, uh, the, the IRA had taken me away and uh, they put a hood across my head and they took me to a house and <clears throat> they badly beat me up and uh, they put a gun to my head and uh, they said what they were going to shoot me or any of my members of my family if we're told. <clears throat> uh, on any of the IRA men or IRA people and uh, they ended up at the end of it they the fired a cap gun and stuck a pen in my leg and I was only 11 years of age at the time. I suppose if you look back at 1972 and the time around this and the suspicion around informers and, and all of that at the time the IRA were hyper vigilant, and they would say that she was an informer she had to be got rid of because she was an informant and all of that and then we move on the family are trying to find out what's happened to her and they're up against it and nobody's given them information. And there was a striking thing I read about, about her funeral in 2003 when the family expected a big turnout, you know, with her mother's funeral. All these years to get this closure. And they said they were surprised that so few people came because people still then were convinced that she was an informer. And there was a stigma attached to Jean McConville, to their family. The family's still tainted in 2003. So they're still, they're still trying. And then even after that... You know, locally, they see people that they know are involved in this. They see them in the Belfast city centre. One of them said that they saw some of their faces on local election campaigns. These people are walking the streets. They know who they are because they recognise the faces. So there's still this cover up. Have you ever uh, confronted anyone who you believe was in the house that night, who was in the house that night? 
No, but one of them tried to confront me in a McDonald's when I had my children there for a birthday treat. When was this? Let's uh, come back to 95. And when they confronted you, what were they saying to you? They were screaming at me, you know, like I was accusing them of something that they didn't do, you know, um, why are you picking on me, why are you saying things about me? Um, she was feeling guilty, I would say, not me. In 2004, then, we have an inquest into Jean's death. Um, but then two years later, we get a very significant development in a report from the PSNI. Tell me about that. So the inquest finds that there's an unlawful death. Then we have this report and it's on the back of a complaint by two of the McConville ch- children about the police investigation or lack of into their mother's disappearance and Nula alone who was the police ombudsman at, at the time she releases this report and in the report she'll go through the circumstances of Jean's abduction um, the allegations of her being an informer and all of that and you know she categorically says she was in she looks at it all she said, this woman was not an informer she was innocent she was an innocent mother of 10 and she was abducted and there was also a really interesting line in that I found when I was looking at it again for this today you know they went through all the social services record on the kids and what had happened to the children after they're all split apart put in various institutions and foster homes referring to Tucker who was one of the boys in 1980 it was stated in one of the social services records that he was deserted by his mother and in the report, O'Lone says this is incorrect, that Mrs. McConville was abducted and murdered. And that is, that is something that, that the children have a big problem with. And you can understand why they have a big problem with it. There were rumours put about that their mother had gone off with a British soldier to England, all this sort of innuendo about their mommy. And none of it was true. And... Of course, we had the Boston tapes in 2001 and these played a a very significant role in reopening that investigation into her disappearance. As you said earlier, the Nulo loan report then followed. But it's a long time before anything else really surfaces. And then 2014, and this, you know, all seems very bizarre, Jerry Adams and Ivor Bell were arrested in connection with her murder. Yes, and this goes back to those tapes. Uh, a fascinating project, really good idea, maybe in more one respect. You know, these these historians and academics and journalists get together and say, let's do interviews with um, former paramilitaries. This is, you know, loyalists and Republicans. Let, let's, let's get them to tell their stories about what happened, what they did, what others did. You know, tell us all your secrets, confessions. And the deal is, we won't make this public until they're dead. That's the deal, right? Or so it's supposed to be the deal. Then two of those who were involved, Brent Hughes and Dolores Price, they make allegations about Jean McConville's abduction and murder in this, and they implicate Jerry Adams in those interviews. Both of them die, and there are a number of... Uh, interviews with them published and they've come into the public domain. So all of this comes out. You know, Jerry Adams is implicated in this. He denies everything. Uh, Bren Hughes and Dolores Price both say he was the one who ordered the hit, you know, and there's, there is uh, a discussion about an alleged meeting to discuss what to do with Jane McConville that Jerry Adams is supposed to have been at. And he said, you know, she's a tight, she had to be dealt with. 
all of these allegations, as I say, were made and suddenly the, the police in the north want access to the tapes, but they're in the States. So they get the US authorities to subpoena the tapes to get, get them released back to them so that they can have access to them in relation to the Jean McConville murder and abduction. And that leads us to the arrest of a number of people. There was a number of arrests, a flurry of arrests in 2014. Ivor Bell was one of them. And on the 1st of May 2014, in the middle of an, an election here in the South and in the North, Jerry Adams is arrested. Jerry has always stood his ground and pleaded his innocence. Yes, Jerry Adams has said that he had no hand, act or part in the abduction and murder of Jim McConville. He's also said he was never in the, the IRA. There were two th- things he stands strong on. And he was he was questioned for four or five, five days in relation to this. He was eventually released and no charges were brought against Jerry Adams in relation to this. Speaking to journalists shortly after his release on Sunday evening, Adams once again declared his innocence. Let me be very clear. I am innocent of any involvement in any conspiracy to abduct, kill or bury Mrs. McCumble. I've worked hard with others to have this injustice redressed. And tell us about Ivor Bell. So Ivor Bell was a leading IRA man Back in the back in the day, and Ivor Bell is implicated in the tapes. He is arrested and charged with soliciting the murder and abduction of Jane McConville. He's in his seventies. It's deemed that he's unfit to stand trial. So, so a trial of facts goes ahead in his absence. Big trial, two thousand and nineteen. Jerry Adams is going to be a witness. Huge, huge deal. And this is the first time that the content of the tapes is played in public. So the trial begins and to cut a long story short, the judge in the, in the case at one point inter- intervenes and he is of the mind that these tapes, the way the interviews were conducted, the way the information was taken from the interviewees or tainted evidence, that there's bias here. And that while, you know, the interviewees agree that they tell, tell the truth in the tapes, there's also the opportunity to embellish and lie and that we don't know where the truth lies. So the tapes are thrown out and they're the, they're the crux of the case against Ivor Bell. So he directs the jury that they have to say to, to, to acquit to find Ivor Bell not guilty. And that's that's the verdict in that case. It's a not guilty. But Jerry Adams did give evidence and he came and he said, you know, anybody who's on these tapes saying I was involved is a liar. That a lot of them were disgruntled ex-comrades who didn't like the way he did business in the end with the, the peace deal and the Good Friday Agreement, that they're liars. And again, he had nothing to do with any of this. But under cross-examination, Mr. Adams repeatedly denied involvement. Jerry Adams said in court, I think the IRA were totally wrong to have shot and secretly buried these folks. Particularly, they should have shown compassion towards Jean McConville. The fact was, she was a widowed woman with ten children. And that should have begged compassion. And so here we are now. 51 years after Jean disappeared, 20 years next month to the date when her body was found on that beach. 
are there still questions to be answered as far as the McConville children are concerned? I think there's a lot of questions that they want answered. Whether they'll get them answered is a different thing. Um, They've obviously tried criminal prosecutions. That hasn't been very successful, unfortunately. There's talk of them, you know, perhaps taking civil actions against Sinn Féin in one instance, perhaps Gerry Adams in another. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of the people, the main players in this, a lot of people have died. So they're no longer with us. They can't be prosecuted. They can't do jail time. So in terms of justice in in that regard uh, and getting answers, I don't know whether that can happen. But I also think they want they want truth. And although there's been a lot of criticism of the tapes and all of this, like we got all these different versions. Yes, they're disputed truths, but I think they got more information on what happened to their mother. They got those details uh, and they were able to take it forward in one regard. Uh, A lot of this, a lot of people want it to go away. You can see that Um, it's not going away. It won't go away. And it has come up time and time again. And Jerry Adams' connection to this will continue to come up. He mightn't be the leader of Sinn Féin anymore. He mightn't be a TD anymore. But every time Jean McConville's name is mentioned, Jerry Adams, Jerry Adams' name is, is mentioned in connection with it. That's interesting because there's a Disney have announced that they're going to make. Um, I think it's like a ten part um, drama series based on on the life of Jean McConville and what happened. I mean, this is not just a, a you know a national audience we're talking about now, Catherine, but a, but a global audience on a, a very Irish issue. Yes, and I know the family are upset about that and they've said that they're not happy about that. And I can understand that. I think we can understand why the, you, you know, the, the claim that this might be seen as entertainment is upsetting. I get that. Um, but also there's an argument that can be made about this, right? You know, this is a piece of awful history. It's an awful, shameful story in our history. It's unsettling to read about it, to talk about it. It's unsettling for me. I'm from the north. I don't like going over this. I don't, I'm admitting to that. It's just, you know, we we went through this. We we made peace. You're supposed to leave this in the past. Well, maybe you are, but also maybe you aren't. You know, we're doing this now. This is a podcast. It takes a story to a different audience, and so maybe a, a you know a a ten a ten part drama will take it to another audience. Will bring this story, and it is a story essentially about a young mother, 10 children, how all of their lives were destroyed. A universal theme that I think everybody can connect with. But it po- points to the bigger issues about the conflict here. What happened to these people who were taken out, taken out, shot, killed, secretly buried. It's so it's so inhumane and whether or not you get justice for that, whether or not you get truth and whether or not the people involved can can just walk away because the McConvilles weren't able to walk away. All of their lives are destroyed. They'll never get their, their time back again. And my thanks to the Irish Independent Special Correspondent Catherine Fegan for joining me today. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was produced by myself, researched by Sylvia Omorodian, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. 
Archive clips from RTE, Euronews, BBC Newsnight, Sky News, 60 Minutes on CBS News, Associated Press, Channel 4 and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts.